With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. I'm your host, Philip Slavin. It is Monday, and you know what that means, but joining me today, my good friend Jamie Steyer. Hello, yes, I am here. Yes, you are here, I am here. Uh, Andy Mitz is not joining us today, uh, and in his stead, and this is not a shot at at, at Andy, sorry Jamie, uh, so much as, I mean... It's really so nice to be able to have the always awesome Shehan Jayaraja, Dave Campbell's joining us in Andy's stead. And I think Andy is pretty probably just happy to not have to talk about Kansas today. Uh, Shehan, well, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much as always for having me, man. So it is Monday. Uh, it is the Monday after what I would call the most ridiculous and wild Big 12 weekend um, we have had so far. There have been essentially... Two weekends, you could count OSU Tulsa as a weekend, but I won't. Um, and that's saying something because weekend one included some uh, the Big Twelve going zero and three against the Sun Belt. Then we get to this weekend, and I we had a huge upset loss, a near upset loss, uh, some close games, some wild things that happened. Plus, you know what happened in the SEC. By the way, folks, um, when they try and shift, it, the argument can only be in the SEC now that the SEC doesn't play defense if Mike Leach is going to go in and have a quarterback set single-game records in the SEC, okay? So if it's the Big 12 and the Pac-12 don't play defense when Mike Leach puts up those kinds of points and yards, then the SEC doesn't play defense either. I don't want to hear anything else, not another word about it. Them's the rules. That's fair, I think. But I don't know that they'll agree, you know. They want to (laughs) hold on to their uh, superiority complex, but... Yeah, I mean, look, it took exactly one air raid team for everything to just get broken. Like, just one. I mean, can you imagine having, like, five? I I mean, it's a little easier to understand, isn't it, uh, why the Big 12 scores that many points, huh? Yeah, and and why their defenses look bad. They're not bad. They're just having to face off against that stuff on a regular basis and not pound you in the mouth football. Okay, enough SEC talk. It's fun to SEC bash. That's the best we're going to do this week. I would say let's spin the wheel and figure out which game we should start with, but I think we should start with the game that made me stare at the screen and wonder if Cliff Kingsbury was back on the sideline because somehow Texas Tech put up 56 points in a game and lost. If that's not the most Cliff Kingsbury at Texas Tech thing that I've ever seen in my life, I don't know what is. So Texas Tech... Up 15 points with like 313 left in the game. Texas mounts a massive comeback, then uses overtime to get the win 63-56 over Texas Tech. Somehow Texas only fell like a few spots, like one spot in the AP poll. We can talk about that later. Um, Shayhan, this is uh, two teams from the state of Texas, so this is your honey hole, man. 
What would you say of, of all the things from that game? What's your one big takeaway from it? Ooh, man, we got to limit it to just one takeaway. Uh, I mean, tell I you what, you, that... you're here, you're, since you're joining us today, <laughs> I will gift you as many takeaways as you would like here. Well, I would say that my biggest takeaway is that uh, I think that Texas's defense still has some issues. Um, no, I, will, I, want, I do want to say, like, you see 56 points, you assume, oh my gosh, like Texas Tech just marched up and down the field. Um, that's not exactly what happened, right? But I think that one of the things that you saw a lot of, and this is somewhat the expected in early season games, especially in a season like this where we don't have non-conference play, uh, there were just so many misrotations. There were so many, you know, there was so much sloppiness. Guys just did not look comfortable in coverage. There were so many missed tackles. Like, and, and granted, again, this is still game two. I'm sure that there's been less tackling with COVID and all that, less practice, and guys I'm sure have missed time too. But it was, it was a little unbelievable how lost at times Texas's back seven looked. Um, you know, it really seemed like Texas Tech was able to attack that middle of the field, especially, uh, you know, with, with Texas linebackers kind of struggling in coverage a little bit. And, and look, I mean, Chris Ash defenses are kind of characterized by not making things too hard, by, by letting things kind of come to them, to letting them, you know, basically let good players be good. And I think that one of the things that I realized after watching that game, and again, there's a million things that I, that I realized after watching that kind of game, but one of the things I really realized is that, you know, obviously, like, Todd Orlando coaching-wise had some issues, but I think that you're also seeing that from a player development standpoint, um, you know, Texas defensive backs still have a lot of work to do. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like the end of that game was some of, like, the craziest most like consistent fast-paced football that we've seen in a little bit I mean to have something that big of a comeback obviously I don't have like a man cave with eight TVs to watch every game but I don't know that there's been any major comeback like that um on that kind of stage since we've been back playing football so to go ahead and do that to come back from down multiple scores and I mean that drive there at the end, I was sitting there watching with bated breath. Like, are they really going to pull it off? They're really going to march down there. They're really going to just do exactly what needs to be done. You know, they had, at that point, pretty much no margin for error. And they did exactly what needed to be done. And, I mean, that just shows you it's there's a lot of maturity uh, that goes into winning a game like that. There's a lot of consistency where you have to know that okay the person I'm throwing to the person I'm handing the ball off to like they're gonna do what I need them to do and so I think that it just says a lot about Texas as a team and I mean truly I don't think that it takes away from Texas Tech as a team on the whole I think it just shows that they weren't quite ready to be able to finish that game out for most of that game they were right there they were doing what needed to be done and then, I mean, it was kind of a collapse there at the end, but it's hard to really call it a collapse when Texas is that good of a team. Yeah, as much credit as we're going to give the Texas offense for mounting this comeback, and I've seen the, I think it was Herman who talked about it, oh, after the running back ran down our sideline, Ellinger looked at me and said, we're going to win this game, which always seems like, oh, that's so badass. Like, that's a great story. <laughs> How come we never hear those stories when they don't end up winning? Like, that's always a thing. I'm like, that, it sounds really cool. But well, like, why don't we hear this story about, oh, man, St. Ellinger was like, well, I guess we lost. <laughs> <laughs> 
He was like trying to shake my hand already. Just like, hey, you know, great game. He was packing up his pads, you know, just <laughs> all the. <laughs> well, better luck next week. Okay, here yeah. we go. I just and, and I will actually do want to say like, I do, I do think that the funny thing about this game is that it was a sixty three fifty six game, right? Like it was a crazy high scoring. I mean, crazy stuff, right? But honestly the two units that I was most impressed with in this game for a lot of this game were obviously text tech special teams, which were amazing, you know, mm-hmm. just phenomenal mm-hmm. until, until they had to, you know, feel the hands team and that did not go well. But, um, but I mean, I, I think that in that second half, especially uh, I looked at the drive chart actually earlier today when we were doing our podcast and it's like punt, punt, interception, punt, punt. And even you look at a lot of Texas touchdown drives in the first half, they're off of short fields because of Alan Bowman interceptions. Like, I know that everybody's going to look at this uh, this game and see 63 points and be like, wow, Texas Tech doesn't play defense anymore. And, like, don't get me wrong. They struggled, especially down there at the end. Um, and, and that last stretch, I mean, you know, there's nothing you can say about it. But I was impressed with the way that they were able to sort of impose their will at times. And, um, and again, I, I think that Texas Tech came into this year as obviously potentially one of the worst teams in the Big 12, we thought. and you know, they have a lot that they need to show to prove that they can be more than that. But I think that this kind of performance shows that there's upside there that maybe, you know, we didn't see when we came into the season. Yeah. I, I, I went on a show before the season. I said there the one team that I think could, could really have a, a surprise year is Texas Tech if Alan Bowman is healthy and played the whole year. And obviously this stinks isn't the outcome you want, but I think this, this to some extent kind of echoes that of, how often are you going to blow a, a 15 point lead with 313 left in a game? Like that takes some special, that takes a special collapse. Um, but I do think it, if you want to look at the bright side, it does point to Texas Tech could, could take a, a nice step with Matt Wells this year that we maybe didn't expect if Alan Bowman is healthy. And again, he's played so little football, he's going to make some mistakes. I think for Texas, Mike Yersich is. Everything that we, I mean, I know Oklahoma State fans don't love them. They're they're morons. The, oh, the anti-Yersich OSU fans drive me a little bit crazy. Like this, like this is all looks very familiar to me of of putting up a lot of points. Um, I think he's done a good job, and I, I don't I don't think it's as easy to turn around a defense and, and and change it up as we thought. So I mean, at this Texas could be in this situation a lot this year. We could see a lot of Texas putting up points, and if they run into good offenses, we could see the same thing. I think that all I know is Red River. Should we just go ahead and take the over now, whatever it's set at, based off of both teams' defensive performances on Saturday? Just take. I don't care if the over under is like a hundred. Just take the over. That's what we could see that day. I think that's a safe bet. I yeah, think that's, it is. that's pretty fair. So with with that said, uh, let's let's make the transition to talk about the the big upset of the weekend obviously well for the big 12 anyways uh, let's kick this off real quick with a little segment that we like to call what do you have to say for yourself our good friend keegan renault from sooners wire here with a little bit about what do the ou sooners have to say for themselves after their uh, collapse on saturday in a loss to kansas state for the second time and since chris Kleiman has been at kansas state oh lincoln riley has been out coached for the first time in the Big 12 since he arrived in 2015. Something that's different, it felt different. The game felt different. The vibe in the stadium without fans probably aided it, but it felt different. This one, we'll see if it is different. Oklahoma's in a position they've been in before. 
they've lost games like this and then turned it around miraculously and within one year. I think the biggest one, um, obviously, you look at 2015, whenever Oklahoma lost a game like this where the offensive line didn't play that great with a great offense, and they turned around and then beat Kansas State 50 nothing in Manhattan. So we will see. Spencer Rattler uh, will, you know, not nothing crazy, but he's got a chance to be, you know, still be a really good football player in the defense. There's a lot left to be desired. They play Iowa State next week, 6.30 on the road in Ames. So, guys, I, I know I watched some of this game early and then turned it over to the Iowa State TCU game when that started. And then, of course, had to, had to turn back over uh, as this game was coming to a close and we were seeing something that we didn't think would happen start to happen, which is Kansas State scoring 17 unanswered points in the fourth quarter and, and, and ending up winning this game. I, I mean... Look, I think for Oklahoma, there's a, there's a couple of things we got to talk about here. I don't want to state, first is this. Everyone, I think, is going to overreact to this loss. And as silly as that sounds, OU does this once a year every year. And it happens generally about this time of year on the calendar often. It happens in late September, early October. It's usually about the fourth or fifth, sixth game. This year, it's just the second, but that's because the calendar's weird. So this is this is about a normal thing for OU to lay a massive egg, have a loss they shouldn't have, and then use that as, as momentum to get things going again. But this doesn't feel exactly like normal for a number of reasons. The defense still seems eh, and Spencer Rattler's turnovers on Saturday were just killer. Now, I, I don't like to overstate turnovers because I think there are bad turnovers and there are turnovers that basically just means you punted the ball like two plays early. Um, and I mean, I joke, but in the first half, the stat was that Spencer Rattler was completed 17 of 19 passes. And technically he completed 19 of 19 passes. He just completed two of them to the opposing team. But I, after Saturday, you, you, you see a kid who is incredibly talented, but is going to make some freshman mistakes. And the question I think for Oklahoma, aside from the defense having to continue to figure things out and maybe not taking as big a step forward as we had hoped in year two for Alex Grinch, but he's going to have to learn to cut those mistakes down quickly or they're going to keep Oklahoma in a similar situation. I think to last year with Jalen Hurts, when Jalen Hurts was being is the reason they kept getting down big and they could put them on his shoulders and come back. I don't know that I would trust Spencer Rattler in a situation if OU is turning the ball over and gets down early. Can I trust Spencer Rattler to have Oklahoma come back? So I don't, I don't want to overstate the loss because this happens every year to OU, but it does feel different than in years past uh, with Lincoln Riley in charge. Yeah, you know, we talked a little bit before the season and even just last week talking about, okay, what's the difference for people who have their first game this week or something like that. And so we just talked a little bit about how, you know, everyone wants to drive home the point of it's not a normal year. You know, you we all get kind of sick of hearing that, but it's accurate. You know, there's a lot less time to kind of hammer out issues early and before the season actually starts and so something that could be fairly minor and something that maybe you would normally recover from pretty easily can be kind of the downfall of a team in a season like this and so obviously I was like otherwise occupied for part of uh, Saturday considering I was watching Iowa State and I was trying to follow along I could only do so much but um, from what it seems like to me is it, yeah, it comes down to the fourth quarter. It comes down to being able to march down and score 17 unanswered points. You know, when you have, again, I'll go back to what I said about 
Texas, when you have maturity, when you have a go-to, when you have someone that you can consistently trust to do that thing for you, I think that if this is the latter half of the year, this is a completely different situation because say that everything else is 100% the same, OU probably has that kind of situation hashed out. They know who their go-to is. They know, they have the confidence that they can say, all right, this is our play and they're just going to go out and execute it. So, I mean, it's just, it's an early season thing. It's exactly like you said, Philip. It's not like this is completely unheard of for OU. It's just that I think part of it too is that there had already been so much chaos in the Big 12, even in the very first week of play. And so people were already ready to panic and they were already ready to say, well, you have to be perfect or else the whole Big 12 is being let down. And so I think that it's just kind of the perfect conditions to take something that is a pretty crazy loss, something that is already extremely unexpected, and just make it into the sky is falling. Yeah, and I think that the one thing that was very surprising for me was when you think of Oklahoma, I mean, yeah, you think of the quarterback and all that, but you think of great offensive lines. And and in this game, it became very clear that this is not a great offensive line. And Mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot of reasons for that. I think that, again, we've lost COVID practice time. I, I'm not, uh, I, I didn't fall close enough to know whether anybody was out or missed time before this game, but it was just clear that this was not a cohesive unit. This is not what we expect when a Lincoln Riley team takes the field. And that showed up in the running game. You know, obviously they've lost some players, most notably Kennedy Brooks, but, you know, I mean, their, their leading rusher was a true freshman, right? So I, I think that you look at this game, um, that's the biggest thing I need to see improve week to week is I need to see this start to look like an Oklahoma offensive line. Cause I understand that Spencer Rattler is kind of the guy who had all eyes on him, but the reason that he did was because they couldn't run the ball consistently. They couldn't protect him consistently. There wasn't really a receiver even who necessarily stepped up, especially much. And, and that was something that I think we were looking for. We kind of expected Charleston Rambo to be that guy. And he wasn't really, you know, he was fine. And so, and then on top of that, obviously you had the D- of issues and the turnovers and, and it just all of a sudden went downhill um again i i don't think that there's any need to to think that oklahoma is suddenly going to be a you know a seven and five football team or however many games we're playing whatever five and five <laughs> or whatever but um but you know i do think that we always knew that there was going to be a transition point when you know you have a kid who's stepping in here who's not an experienced quarterback right this is this is a quarterback who, for the first time under Lincoln Riley, who's not a junior or senior, right? And on top of that, he's the first homegrown quarterback that Lincoln Riley's ever had. So there were going to be growing pains. I, I don't think that that's a huge surprise. But um, but yeah, to me, it's really that offensive line. Are they going to start to gel? Are they going to start to come together? Because there are just too many teams in the Big 12 right now that can take advantage of you if you don't. And the last thing I have to say is that I have to give a shout out to to Round Rock Zone, Deuce Vaughn, another Texas high school football uh, talent who who obviously killed it for Kansas State, both in the rushing and receiving game. Yeah, props to Kansas State. Coach Kleiman now 2-0 and against Oklahoma. Um, that's as many wins as Mike Gundy has. I'm just going to oh. say it. Oh, no. Um, I Look, I'm going to wish you got I'm still going to say it. It's, it mm. But... Uh, I know that OU Kansas State's not a rivalry, but this is going to turn into a thing where OU just hates playing Kansas State on a regular basis. Um, two stats I want to throw out that I think are interesting. One from uh, 
the, the Chris Falica, aka the Bear, on uh, on game day. So this, this was Oklahoma's sixth loss as a twenty point favorite since the start of the two thousand and nine season. No other team has lost more than three in that span. That is both a negative thing and to point to this happens to OU often enough that you shouldn't overreact to it because we see OU bounce back on a regular basis. Uh, the other stuff not to mention is, oh, that, yeah. uh, not to mention that obviously Oklahoma because of how many points they score I'm sure is a 20 point favorite more than almost any other team in college football. Yeah, yeah I, w- I would be curious how how many times they have been a 20 point favorite compared to other teams. Yeah, um, because I do think that's that whole like oh that sounds terrible. Yeah, but they've also been a 20 point favorite. Who knows. The ratio could still be the same. Right. 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 Sometimes, sometimes just base stats don't tell the whole story, but say lovey. Uh, the other thing, interesting thing. So Jacob major uh, at Jake major 25 pointed this out. Uh, this is the first time a Lincoln Riley quarterback has thrown at three interceptions in a game, which is also the most in a regular season game since Cody Thomas versus Texas Tech in 2014. And the most by an Oklahoma quarterback since Trevor Knight versus Clemson in the athletic Bowl. So, to also play on the let's not overreact today, you could say, basically, his second game as the starter, little bit of a fluke, they'll bounce back. Let's not overreact to that game. I do want to say we've talked a lot about Oklahoma here. Thank you, Keegan. Keegan, thank you, Shahan, for pointing it out. Props to Kansas State again. Like that is such a huge win, especially to bounce back from that really surprising Arkansas state loss two weeks ago and to turn around and pull this off. Kansas state does not quit. And look, I I still don't understand the people who didn't think this was a smart hire. Like literally you go grab it coach. I don't care at what level that wins as much as, as Clement did. Like at this point, you just, if he keeps doing it, you hope Kansas state can keep him. And he suddenly, I think the the last coach to go to start his career two and O against Oklahoma ended up as the head coach at LSU a few years later. So I think we should just keep an eye on that as we move forward after LSU's uh, quote unquote shocking loss to Mississippi state. Yeah. It turns out that, uh, that being good at coaching football means that you are good at coaching football. I, who <laughs> I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't, I don't think that that holds water. Let's go to this game. The game that I, I wanted to watch Saturday morning and I did and found to be really, really interesting was of course, Iowa state and TCU. Iowa state getting the win there. But I came away from that game a little bit impressed by TCU. Now, look, I know that TCU fans don't – there's no such thing as moral victories. I get it. Um, But for TCU, it's your first game of the season. It's hard to bet on a team who's opening up their season against a team who's already played. Iowa State had a game under their belt. Loss, albeit. You lose by three points. I know that – I know Purdy didn't look great, and he had the worst interception pick six I've ever seen, which also had the best call of a terrible pick six I've ever seen. It was fantastic. But you lose by three. You were down by two with like four minutes to go. And I I think the biggest positive takeaway is this. You know, you played Downing in the first half. Uh, You played Duggan in the second. Shouts to, to Parker, who I know isn't super happy about the loss, and he's very frustrated, and I'm Fun to talk with Parker about stuff. TCU in the first half went down in 221 yards, seven points, and seven drives. TCU in the second half with Duggan, 265 yards, 20 points on seven drives. I think you can be frustrated by this loss because it feels like one you let slip through your fingers, but I do think you can feel optimistic about Duggan's performance in this game and the at, the idea of him playing as a starter, think he's locked that down for the duration of the season. 
TCU could find could have a nice bounce back year from last year and start building towards something with him. I think that the prevailing sentiment in my ISU group chats was that TCU had a very ISU game. Like everything that happened to them, so much of what happened out there on the field felt like what we see all the time. Just ill-timed mistakes, being able to take advantage of something and then turn around and almost immediately just give that advantage back up. I mean, it felt very much what we are used to being on the receiving end of. And as far as we're concerned, we're like, hey, this is refreshing. You know, we, of course, had to get that extra little gut punch of having, like, the most memeable play of the entire weekend. But oh, no. in the end, we uh, came Probably the with... season. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was hoping that maybe something would still uh, surpass it. It's only week two. Who knows? I'm going to hold out hope. But it just it just felt like something that we're so used to losing in the end. And so, I mean, that's really not to say anything bad about TCU because Iowa State has had really great teams that have had some really bad luck, and some of it does come down to luck. But in the end, it was just one of those situations where for once Iowa State finished out a game and their defense looked consistently pretty good. And you had multiple people making good contributions and you didn't have anyone that you could really point at and say, yeah, you know, we had a really great game if it weren't for this guy. And it was just the consistency that usually Iowa State has to wait a really long time to see in a season. And it was in the second game. Nice change of pace. So I was I was at this game actually yesterday and – um, if if I'm being honest, um, I apologize to to uh, any TC or Iowa State fans that are listening. Um, I kind of walked away thinking both these teams looked absolutely terrible. Like <laughs> even even Iowa State. I I mean, you look at that game, right? Like for anybody who didn't watch the game, there were probably a good five touchdowns where just somebody just forgot what they were doing, and there was just a total break, right? Like. Uh, Iowa State had a 75-yard touchdown where, like, one guy missed a tackle and TCU safeties were just like, where do we go? Uh, there, was a, there was a TCU. Uh, where, where, uh, there was a play where they went uh, quad south and they just, like, ran down the field. And Iowa State was like, wait, they four receivers? Like, just had no idea, right? Like, both of these teams looked awful. Uh, Matthew Downing, uh, look, I, I don't know exactly – the situation, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna speak to say, having too much insight into why Gary Patterson and, and Sonny Cumbie and Doug Meacham went with the, uh, with the, the Matthew Downing for a whole half. Uh, Iowa State's defense was lined up like seven yards out. Like Iowa State's safeties were like on top of their linebackers because they knew that Matthew Downing could do nothing, right? And so, once Max Duggan went to the game, I thought that. TCU looked like the better team, but they had just put themselves in such a big hole. that Again, it was, I just left that game thinking like, man, both teams look sloppy. Both teams don't look ready. Both teams, you know, made a ton of mistakes that I don't expect them to make later. Now again, it's context, right? We're coming back from COVID. Like a bunch of guys didn't practice. A bunch of guys didn't play. Like it's not a surprise to me at all that, that things looked a little ugly. And again, like, I expect a, I, I expect a lot more from Brock Purdy as the season goes along, but um, but you know I, I just love that game thinking man, 
Iowa State for four quarters was probably the better team, but both these teams are going to have to get a lot better if they're going to if they're going to win in the Big Twelve. Yeah, it yeah. should say something about like how jaded I am that I'm listening to you and I'm like, well, you know, you're completely right, and I still felt good about it that it was like, hey, we we still pulled it out, we still had people able right. to make like the plays that needed to Definitely. be made, and for us, that's usually like the peak. Right. So to think, hey, we can still go higher. That's right. great. It just shows like the mindset that I've got as a fan versus watching it as someone else. And it's like, no, you're 100% right. I just still felt great. <laughs> and the thing is, right. The thing is, right. Like, um, you know, this was this was a conversation that, um, you know, that that Matt Wells had after the Houston Baptist game, right, is like, yeah, that sucked. But at least we're one and out, right? Like, at least, at least we're learning these lessons in a win, right? Mm-hmm. At least we're learning these, these records at one and one. And I mean, I think that again, I would say it's going to have to get a lot better if they're going to be as good as I think all of us thought that they could be this year. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely nicer to to make those improvements when you're one and zero in Big Twelve play. Look, it this the story of the season is going to be survived in advance. It's a weird year where like it's so I think conversations of the playoff and championships and all this stuff is almost silly because this year you just just play as many games as you can, win as many games as you can, and be happy that we have football right now. But say a lot of the, uh, two guys who I do want to give shout-outs to. First off, Brees Hall, as I am a card-carrying member of the Brees Hall fan club. Now, I know that Parker will state that uh, of his 155 yards, 75 came on one run so that he didn't actually do a lot of damage to TCU. That's very much a Parker statement. <clears throat> Chuba. Um, but say a lot of the, Parker. Uh, uh, Brees Hall, 18 carries, 155 yards, and three touchdowns. Had a great day. Also, Jaquan Bailey, good grief. Uh, seven total tackles, four solo, three assists, three and a half sacks, one fumble recovery. Uh, that guy was all over the field. I swear, he I, like I saw his stats after the game was like, that's it? Like It felt like he mm-hmm. made every tackle, forced 100 fumbles, 1,200 sacks. Like He was a beast and a monster on Saturday. So shout out to him. He was, he was fantastic. And, and the the other guy who I want to mention is that, you know, when Max Duggan did go in, in the second half, I mean, he was pretty much flawless. Like mm-hmm. he looked, mm-hmm. he looked so much better than he had looked at. I mean, really only the Texas game was the only moment he looked anywhere near this good. Right. He, I mean, he had an interception, but it was a tip ball. It wasn't his fault. Other than that, he completed 88% of his passes, 241 yards and one half and three touchdowns. So, I mean, he, Look, we'll have to see whether uh, whether TCU can keep. I mean, their play calling was inconsistent to say the least. Like, I, you're, you're gonna have to explain this quarterback runs to me, but obviously, uh, you know, at TCU we don't get to talk to the assistant coach. It's a whole other thing. But, um, but you know, they're gonna have to explain why they're trying out this quarterback run thing because it is it is a disaster. But when he was able to stand back in the pocket, go four or five wide, I mean, he looked like a completely different player than last year. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, but. It's just disappointing the interception came at the worst possible time for it, right, when TCU had a chance to try and march down the field and, and win the game. But, you know, it again, no one likes to lose, and I know we don't like moral victories, but it's the first game of the season for TCU, and, and to play as well as it did, I think, is a, is a positive takeaway. And for Iowa State, I don't know what's wrong with Brock Purdy, but something's wrong with Brock Purdy. Um, and they better figure it out because if he can't turn things around, Iowa State's going to have a really – really rough season despite having what seems like a a pretty solid defense as usual Um, okay speaking of iowa state i don't know about you guys but i'll I'll be honest i was sitting there on saturday i flipped this game on and i pulled over and on my brand new marching side iowa state shirt from home field apparel it was comfy it was awesome i felt a little like i i kind of like rooting for iowa state it's kind of a fun thing 
Uh, I mean, I would I would have been happy if TCU won. No, this is a fair and balanced podcast, except for those OSU. Um, but look, it was a fantastic shirt. I will be wearing my Slippery Rock this week. Uh, we, we talked before the pod started about finding random teams to root for. Shout out to UTEP for Shehan. Uh, and I don't know if Home Field Apparel has UTEP yet. I'm gonna have to go I, I will tell you right now, okay? I So here's, here's the thing with Home Field Apparel, right? They're so good that I'm like paralyzed with fear that if I buy something, then they're gonna come out with something better and I'm gonna just have to buy all of them. <laughs> so I'm just sitting here waiting until they're done with their big new Saturdays because I, I just have to go back because it's, it's paralyzing. Oh yeah, look, and they, they, uh, they've announced end of October is the end of Big New Saturday for this first season. It won't be back again until the spring, which I really I need, to, I need to email Connor and be like, why are you taking so much time off? It's not fair. I don't like long off seasons. This is going to be as bad of an off season as when we actually have to wait between footballs. It's, just, it's, it's not it's not cool, man. I don't like it. Uh, so yeah, I have my Iowa State shirt. I got Slippery Rock. I'll, maybe I'll buy a Baylor shirt later. We'll see. But I want like so many things from Home Field Apparel. I don't even like UConn. There's some really fun UConn apparel shirts. Uh, so the, the Missouri they put out, I'm not buying Missouri. I, I'm still frustrated. I was like, I want Big 12 things, not former Big 12 things. I want like current Big 12. If you have not checked out Homefield Apparel yet, you need to. Go to homefieldapparel.com. Browse the more than 90 schools that they have. Fantastic, comfortable, vintage design t-shirts and hoodies for. They're super comfortable. Like it's those, and it's the kind of design where you wear it and you feel cool wearing it, which is a weird thing to say, but sports fans get it, and other people see them and go, oh, that's kind of awesome. Like, my father-in-law was like, oh, I know Slippery Rock. da 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 I'm like, okay, cool. Like, it's the kind of things that start conversations. So go to homefieldapparel.com. Go check out all the schools, Syracuse, Toledo, Bradley, Grand Valley State, Mississippi State. You can rock a Mississippi State shirt because they beat LSU on Saturday. I just might do that. When you get to check out, use the promo code 1012-TEN12 on your first order. Save 20%. It is a great deal. Don't forget, if you spend over $50, you get free shipping. So go to homefieldapparel.com. 1012 gets you 20% off right now. Don't forget to follow them on Twitter. Their Twitter is one of the most fun and, and exciting Twitters. It's a fun thing to be a part of. You feel it's almost like being a fan of a school to some extent. Like you feel like you're part of this really cool community. And once you, it makes you want to buy a shirt even more. And then once you have one, you feel like you're part of this group of people that are just like, you all really, really like this thing for so many reasons. So go follow them on Twitter. Go to the website, use 1012, get 20% off your first order, and be rocking your home field apparel shirt this coming Saturday when the games kick off. All right, so enough about Iowa State and definitely enough about Missouri. If I never have to talk about them, it'll be too soon. Uh, let's march on down to the game that I'm really glad Andy is not here to talk about, and that would be Kansas and Baylor. Uh, and I, I appreciate the Kansas fans who are out there saying, look, Baylor beat us worse last year. This is one of the best performances we've had against Baylor. We knew it would be a setback. I got to be honest. Baylor has literally had to prepare for like three different season openers in four weeks. It's the first game of the season. New head coach, new coaching staff. They lost so much off defense. I know Kansas tried it out a new quarterback. I know it's Kansas. But I'm having a hard time coming away from this game with a moral victory for Kansas. Like, I, I was impressed. I, I can give it to you. Okay, please. Please do, Shehan. Yes. 
Jalen Daniels is a player, man. Uh, their their yes. quarterback that they started, 17 years old. I mean, he he is a player, especially early in that game uh, before Baylor kind of started to get some some big pressure on him. I mean, he was standing in the pocket. He can launch the ball downfield. I mean, he and he's very accurate too. And honestly, there was a there was definitely a play. I think it was their second or third drive where Velton Gardner swung out wide open, just drops the ball. That's oh, another touchdown, yes. right there. Oh yeah, it was. Yeah. He was he was running to the end zone. And it yes. went through his hands down the side. And it, oh, yeah. it was really and, disappointing to see because you're like, that was a touchdown. Like, yeah. That and was... then there, were, there was another ball that I think it was Stephen Parchment uh, going right up the middle. He just overthrew him by like a foot, right? And so, like, don't get me wrong. After that, then Baylor just kind of was like, now we're better than you. But, um, but you know, really, I, I think that Jalen Daniels was one of the most impressive players in this whole game. And what, honestly, I kind of took away from this. You know, I was talking to, to Kevin Flaherty. Over at two four seven, who who dubs himself the only Kansas football fan, um, and you know we were talking, and I mean I, I think he made a good point. You know, a lot of these guys who are contributing a little and just making Baylor's life a little bit harder. I mean, they're like freshmen and sophomores, right? Like you're starting to see that at least on the underclassmen side, there are guys who look like Big Twelve level players, uh, and and who eventually, you know, when they're juniors and seniors, again, I mean, they're not going to be like winning the Big Twelve or anything, but like. Jalen Daniels is, is going to be a guy who's going to cause a lot of trouble for people. So look again, Baylor's a lot better. And, and really, I mean, you know, from the big side of things real quick, like I wasn't, not that I wasn't impressed. I, I mean, they looked like they hadn't played as yet. They looked like a team playing their first game and they looked like a team that at some point was just like, eh, screw it. I mean, we're just going to let John Lovett run all over you instead of trying to figure out some of this stuff, right? So, like, we're just going to win and then figure out the rest later. Uh, but, but again, up until that point, I thought that Kansas actually fought really hard, looked pretty good, and and again, I mean, I, I still think they're going to be the worst team in the Big 12, but there's some, there's some uh, real stuff happening there, I think. Yeah, that's exactly the point that I was going to make, is that, I mean, it's not like Kansas didn't look like they deserved to be on the same field as them, but Baylor just didn't look, they didn't look like they were perfect. You know, it's not like, well, you know, we went out and we fought really hard, but, you know, this miraculous play happened and, you know, they just, we couldn't shut down anything. You know, it's, it was just that, oh yeah, it, it's the first game of the season and it just kind of is what it is in that capacity. And Kansas is who they are in that capacity. And so those two things kind of met each other. And the fact that Kansas is who they are far outweighed it being Baylor's first game of the year. And so, I mean, yeah, Baylor definitely has a lot of progress to make in order to have these kind of results against more maybe middle to high tier programs. Um, But yeah, I mean, I don't think that Kansas is, too far away from having some people who can develop and being to the point where they can have games that they're competitive in and, and having years where maybe they're not the consensus last pick in the conference. You know, we've, I've been there. I've seen other teams be there besides Kansas. Like it's not like you just get there and you're stuck in the basement, but there's, there's definitely a, a little bit of a light shining in there. But yeah, this week was not the light at the end of the tunnel. Look, Les Miles was brought in to fix recruiting at Kansas. So far, he has been doing that. His first class was good. 
His class he's working on for 2021 looks pretty good. Like, the talent at Kansas is going to get better. There are brighter days ahead. I know I saw some Kansas fans tweeting they should fire Les Miles, and I'm just like, stop. Like, just just stop it. You're not getting rid of Les Miles. Like, the job he was brought in to do, which was to make Kansas look good enough to land some better recruits and build the talent base up, which Kansas needs, is what he's doing. Uh, Look, I think you're right, Shayhan. Jalen Daniels looked really good. Like, someone, when I, I turned it over, and I think Andy was like, I'm so excited they put in and I can't believe they put in Daniels as a quarterback, and watching him, he was a bright spot in the game. The rest of the team looked like Kansas, but he was a bright spot in the game. And if if every, if he can, I didn't realize he was 17, though. Good grief, the kid is 17? Yes. Like, oh my, he's supposed Even to be, I like, feel... preparing for senior year, if not not playing, oh my gosh, man, okay. <laughs> Man, at seventeen, yeah, I, I would have no, not even. Not even, not even. I wouldn't have. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. I definitely wouldn't have wanted to be doing is getting my ass beat by Terrell Bernard. But, um, <laughs> but you know, and and I will say on the Baylor side, right? Like it is obviously a very good thing that even though they looked pretty out of sorts, they were just kind of able to be this much better than Kansas, right? Yeah. They were just able to to roll them over without doing anything, right? Actually, you know, one thing, and I did expect this going in, like Larry Fedora's offense is built so much on timing and quick routes and stuff, and that was not there at all, right? Like that was just completely not on the same page. Uh, Charlie Brewer, I mean, again, it, it's their first game, all, all that sort of stuff. He did not uh, have a very good game, which again, I, I think that with time, that, that timing will come, you know, those decisions will come. Um, I'm not concerned at all about the offense, but no, I mean, this was this was a – an out of sorts, I guess you could say Baylor team, uh, an out of sorts Baylor team that was missing, I believe, three projected starting offensive linemen because of contact tracing. And again, they still managed to go out there and do what a lot of teams in the Big 12 have struggled to do, which is make their opponent look worse than them. So uh, again, it, for a debut, I think it's about what you could have asked for. But uh, but I think that obviously next week against West Virginia is going to be the real chance where they have to prove that they're actually good and not just playing Kansas. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think the Big 12 did Baylor a little bit of a favor by making their opening Kansas and West Virginia. And I don't mean this to sound bad at West Virginia. I think they're a, a obviously a, a step up from Kansas. But I think Baylor's got themselves set up for the nice opportunity to continue to improve. And we'll see just how good they can really be. We'll see more this week. And, of course, we'll see more down the line. Yeah, and the other thing with West Virginia is that they moved it. They moved their game from potentially being a night game in November to a September game. So uh, that is the biggest upgrade in the whole world. For oh my Baylor. gosh! Yeah, games in West Virginia, if you can get them early, not late, are uh, are nice. Same thing for Manhattan, Kansas. No one wants to play in Manhattan, Kansas in December. That's not it's not a fun thing to do. Uh, I don't know about you guys. Uh, my Saturday started. That was my birthday. It was very nice. I had a whiskey cake. My wife made a whiskey cake. My wife, I married my wife because she, everything she bakes, there's a reason I'm fat now. Let's just say that. Um, and I always love a good cup of coffee in the morning, but sitting there having some dessert with a nice cup of coffee, watching some football in the evening is very nice. And I don't know about everybody else. I know I was drinking lazy beer coffee. Ethically sourced beans from around the world, roasted right in the heart of Big 12 country in DFW got light and dark roasts fantastic flavors it is really really good jamie has had some jamie has used the body i was scrub. having it saturday morning i was having my latte it was terrific it woke me up i was able to fully enjoy the game instead of having to wake up around halftime mentally <laughs> like i usually do oh 
Is that the coffee's fault or is that Friday night's fault? Uh, just personal decisions. So the coffee is uh, the one that that recovered me. It's the coffee's it's the coffee's benefit <laughs> that I was conscious. So if you are like me and like to start your days off with a nice hot cup of coffee, then you need to go to lazyfaircoffee.com. L-A-Z-Y-F-A-I-R coffee. I'm not spelling it for you. Figure it out. Dot com. Grab yourself a bag. Grab yourself two bags. Uh, check out the fantastic coffee dry rub. Again, it's really, really good. Put some bags in your cart at checkout. Use promo code 1012. Get 10% off your order. By the way, if you live in the DFW area, you can get free shipping. It's really good stuff. Really is. It's a great little company. Great bag of beans. Really well thought out stuff. If I can suggest, if you're a fan of Cuban coffee, and if you've ever had it, then you know what it is. There's a Cafe Cubano. The guy who owns the company from Florida loves Cuban coffee. That's what he wanted to have as part of his collection. It's a wide range collection. It's a really good bag of beans. Go check it out for yourself. So go to lazyfaircoffee.com, L-A-Z-Y-F-A-I-R coffee. 1012 at checkout. Get your 10% off your order. You can also follow them on Instagram. They are on there as well. And enjoy a nice hot cup of joe this Saturday morning watching college football like I will. And so one last game to talk about. And it's not so much like, it's just the last game we're talking about. There's no reason for it. Oklahoma State, uh, for the second straight week, I want to say surviving is the accurate word here. 27-13 over West Virginia. And I know that, look, I saw the after Eastern Kentucky win, the uh, Jarrett Dagey Heisman, and I just wanted to go stop. It was Eastern Kentucky. We know what Jarrett Dagey is. He's a nice quarterback. That's it. Oklahoma State's defense is legit. Oklahoma State's offense is still struggling. A, your offensive line's got problems. B, Chuba Hubbard does not look like himself. And C, you're playing your backup, who was the third string to start the season, who's a true freshman who had two weeks of contract tracing, so he didn't get to practice here in this fall, which is pretty much all the practicing anyone's had. So yes, the Oklahoma State offense is still struggling. Hopefully it will continue to catch up, but the defense for a second straight game won them that game, holding West Virginia to giving up one big one big touchdown and six points otherwise. Uh, I'm still waiting until Oklahoma State's offense gets things rolling. They are at best one of the better teams in the Big 12, but I'm still, but I'm not going to call them a Big 12 contender until that offense gets to where we think it could be. Because if Oklahoma State's offense can play like we all thought it would be at the end of the start of the season and before the season, if the defense continues to play as well as it does, this is a Big 12 contending team, legitimately. But that offense has to get rolling. Chuba's got to play like Chuba. I think LD Brown has like monstered Chuba's football talent and stolen it for himself because LD Brown looked fantastic for a second straight week while Chuba continued to struggle. And they got to get Spencer Sanders back there on the field. So I think Oklahoma State's defense is going to continue to win them games. We'll talk about this weekend's matchup here coming up. And for West Virginia, just they shot themselves in the foot a lot. Like they didn't play great, but they played well enough to potentially win that game. Daggy was fine. Uh, I thought the defense played really well. The Stills brothers are what we feel to. They are who we thought they were. They are really good. Um, but outside of that, I think the concern for West Virginia I had coming into this game, especially at wide receivers, they've got a, they've got good wide receivers. They didn't have a go-to guy. I thought Wright Jr. played really well. Obviously, eight there's six catches, 127 yards, and a touchdown. Winston Wright Jr. Um, but I just I watched that game and I go. West Virginia isn't bad. 
they're well coached, but they just made a lot of mistakes on Saturday and it cost them. Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the first things you said is what I kind of latch onto, and that's that Oklahoma State second straight game just kind of survived. But at this point in the season, I think that the ability to survive is one of the most valuable skills that you can have. The fact that they're able to push through their typical go-to player not performing at the level that you would be expecting him to with Chuba Hubbard not being out there, being his typical dominant self. He's obviously contributing. He's not going to just automatically not do anything. But, I mean, you would definitely expect to have more out of him. And then, yeah, I mean, you said the quarterback situation is crazy. And you're still out there. You're still winning. And they're not just eking it out. You know, they won by two touchdowns. And so the fact that they did that, it just means that once you get the other stuff figured out, you're that much better off. You know, if you can sneak those out and not even sneak those out, if you can authoritatively win those games by multiple scores and then you've got people that you're looking at and you have to assume that at some point in this season Chuba Hubbard's gonna figure it out you have to think that the longer that you've got someone in the quarterback position and they can actually practice they're gonna get even better and it's not like he had you know Ellingworth didn't have a horrific performance he just you know had he had a day. He was fine. And I think that eventually he has. Yeah, he was fine. And he has the potential to, I think, be better than fine. And so when you're looking at that, you're saying, wow, it's it's exactly what you're saying, Philip. If a couple things, if a couple switches flip for Oklahoma State, they could get kind of scary. Yeah, and, and I think I think for me, right, I was curious going into this game because, like, don't get me wrong, I it felt like everybody was overreacting to that that performance against Eastern Kentucky, right? Mm-hmm. But the big thing is that, you know, last year, I remember, especially at the end of the year for that West Virginia team, like, Austin Kendall was just such a disaster, right? And it seemed like they were just okay quarterback play away from being potentially a good team, right? So that's why when we saw, you know, Jared Dagey have a good first game, and he honestly was fine in this game, right? Like, he wasn't bad by any means. No. Um you know, but, but like, you kind of felt like maybe that would be the difference. And I guess we kind of learned from this game that maybe that's still not the case, right? Like maybe, maybe West Virginia still has some more fundamental issues than just the quarterback position. Right. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's sort of a similar thing in a different way to kind of like what I was saying about Baylor, right? Like, like Oklahoma state was fine. Oklahoma state's quarterback situation with Spencer Sanders out is fine. Um, but you know, when you're able to still go out there and kind of dominate games, when you're able to go up 17 to zero without kind of having to try too hard at this point of the season, I mean, that says a lot of good things about what this team is. And, and I think that, you know, defensively, I I think that, you know, we've talked a lot about before the season that we're pretty excited about what this Oklahoma state defense could be. It's good to see that happen, right? Because, um, you know, I, I was really terrified coming into this game because I thought that potentially West Virginia's defensive line would just make it a no, a no contest against Oklahoma State, right? Based off of how Oklahoma State's offensive line played in week one. But it looks like they're a little further along. Um, again, I, I need to see more, right? I need to see more. I need to see growth. I need to see, you know, either Spencer Sanders come back or, or Shane Ellingworth have more reps. I, I just need to see it, right? But at this point, again, there's only two teams right now in the Big 12, if I, if I have this right, that are 2-0. and uh, you'd rather learn those lessons after winning games than after losing games. 
Yeah, Baylor is 1-0. Everybody else has a loss so far. So, I mean, look, we could talk about uh, the Big 12 standings and the playoff and all that nonsense, and I honestly don't care this year. Like, part of me is like, whatever. The Big 12, the Big 10's back, and the Big 12 might make it or they might not, and, like, it's whatever. Like, I, I and I know we're supposed to care about the playoff, but I think the playoff stuff gets a little bit overblown and a little overrated because it's basically the same teams every year, and it's the same teams that are going to win it, and can we just enjoy other things so um i don't want to have that conversation right now it's also like we played two games i mean if we were if we want to get really really about it um you know i don't really care most years about the playoff conversation like uh hey you know what like having fun and winning games is pretty fun on its own there's only there's more than like six teams that matter yes absolutely so we're not going to go that route um let's wrap up on this next week five big 12 games again assuming you know Testing goes the way we hope it does. Oklahoma State at Kansas, TCU at Texas, Baylor at West Virginia, Texas Tech at Kansas State, and Oklahoma at Iowa State. So let's ask this. Um, and Jamie, the rule sticks for you. <laughs> Iowa State game aside, you can't just pick, unless you can convince me a legitimate reason outside of it being Iowa State's game. Uh, which game are each of you most looking forward to from the Big 12 next weekend? Whoever wants to go first is fine. You know, I think I think just because of the unknowns, um, I I'm intrigued by Texas Tech and Kansas State because I wanna see how Kansas State does in a game where there's some expectations of them. To go in and to beat someone like Oklahoma, to go in and be able to say, yeah, you know, no one expected this of us. We just went in and we played our game. You know, that's that's all well and good. But now all of a sudden you've won that game. And you go into a game where you, you have some expectations and you've got a couple games under your belt so people have kind of seen what your team looks like this year and they've had time to make some adjustments and I just really want to see what that game's going to look like because I think that it could go really wildly different directions and it'll kind of show us what K-State is really going to be about this year whether that was an anomaly against Oklahoma or whether they're they're actually kind of moving their way on up. Yeah, and I'll, I'll go kind of a similar direction, right? I, I think that there's so many teams in the Big 12 that kind of need to clarify what they are, right? And and so for me, I want to see whether this second half TCU is real, right? So they're going on the road against number nine, Texas. We, we can, uh, you know, kind of laugh a little about number nine, Texas after what happened over the weekend. But, um, but you know, look, this Texas team is very talented, and they also lost to TCU last year at Amon Carter Stadium. So this is going to be a motivated team. And on top of that, I think Texas has a lot to prove after last week. Um, look, I mean, I, I think that going down on the road, I understand it's Lubbock, but guess what? Lubbock hasn't been that hard to win in in a long time if we want to get really <laughs> real about it, right? It's like, that shouldn't happen. That shouldn't happen with the team that's this good. It wasn't even a night game, right? So, um, you know, you're going to be at home. Uh, you're going to be in front of your fans. Uh, you're going to have an opportunity to, to review some of the film of this past week. And TCU, you know, the one thing that we do know is that they have a tremendous pass defense. You know, their safeties against the pass are among the best in the country, not just the Big 12. So 
I'm interested to see, you know, Sam Ellinger, we hear all about this new offense. We hear all about these new passing concepts. Is he going to be able to do those same those same things when he's playing against a legitimately good defense because obviously the first he hasn't been and on the other side Max Duggan you know obviously they're gonna they're gonna have some real issues blocking these giant Texas defensive linemen uh even with that is he going to be able to adjust to the game plan are they going to build the game plan more around him are they going to get the ball out quick are they go three four five wide like we saw them do for stretches this past week um, look, because if, if the Max Duggan who showed up in the second half for this Iowa State game shows up for the Texas game, TCU can very much win the game. But uh, but I think that there's a lot of unknowns with both of these teams after the weirdness that we've seen through the first couple of weeks. Yeah, Jamie, you kind of stole mine. I was I'm very excited about that Texas Tech Kansas State game, 230 on, on FS1. For a similar reason. How do both teams bounce back kansas state from a huge come from behind win texas take tech blowing a big lead in a game at home like that's two very different mindsets and you know i went back and looked at last year because i couldn't remember what happened with kansas state after that big win over oklahoma last year you know they they followed up with a win at kansas okay whoop-de-doo but then lost back-to-back games at texas and at home to west virginia so it's not like the big oklahoma game sent them all win sent them on some big winning streak um they just they were they were still a good team that got a big win is that going to be a similar situation? It's just a big win for them. It would, you know, they congratulations. Uh, they're still going to finish out of ten games, five and five. Like I'm curious what that does, if anything, for Kansas State, and how does Texas Tech bounce back from a, a really difficult loss? I'm also really intrigued by Baylor West Virginia, um, kind of for similar reasons. Baylor, you know, they they beat Kansas, and I don't mean this to sound bad of Kansas, but it kind of is the same thing with. West Virginia blowing out Eastern Kentucky and Texas beating UTEP. UTEP three and one now, uh, and Oklahoma beating Missouri State. And I and I, I don't mean that to insult Kansas too much, but it is congrats you beat Kansas. Um, now let's see you go and face, and you got to do it at home. Now let's see you go on the road and face a West Virginia team that's got two games under their belt, coming off a loss. Despite the loss, seems like they're still a pretty good team. How does Baylor respond in game two? How do they look? How does West Virginia respond to a loss that they probably feel a little frustrated and feel like they, you know, kind of let one that they could have won get away from them? They're right at the end. So that game really kind of intrigued me. I feel like we'll learn more about Baylor in that game than we really did against Kansas in week one. I don't mean to ignore the uh, the Iowa State OU game. It is an interesting game. Uh, since Matt Campbell got to, to, to Ames, that game has not been decided by more than 10 points yet. So two is a one point game last year. We've had wins by of 10 by Oklahoma, a seven point win by Iowa state. Like it's been a pretty close series. OU's coming off a loss. Usually OU responds to losses in the season and starts getting on a run. This is a weird year. Can they do that this year? And and not just bounce back, but can that be a motivating factor to get them to bounce up and make some run through the rest of the season? Or is it actually signs of a problem? I, I Again, I don't want to overreact. I, I don't think it's going to be – I don't think Iowa State is the normal Iowa State we're used to. I, I don't think they're as good this year as everyone kind of hoped that they would be. So we'll certainly see what happens there. And I mean, I'm not going to look at Oklahoma State's going to play Kansas. It's, it's, it's Lawrence. It's a nice, fun town. I've been there. We'll see what happens. 
Okay. Yeah, and and on the you know just real quick on the Baylor game, I mean, let's remember what happened last year, right? It's Halloween game, Thursday night, and West Virginia's defensive line totally dominates Baylor, completely dominates Baylor. And again, if they have somebody who's not Austin Kendall at quarter, Baylor's lost in that game, right? And they aren't in the playoff conversation, and they maybe don't go to the Big Twelve title game. So. I, it's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, because obviously the Stills brothers are back and they caused Baylor all sorts of hell last year. Are the, is Baylor going to be able to block them better? Is Baylor going to be more prepared? And again, we didn't really see any offensive consistency in the first game. And Baylor, I don't think, is going to be able to fully out-talent uh, West Virginia the same way they did Kansas. So I, I'm really curious to see that one too. All right, so we got four good games and Oklahoma State, Kansas next week. I'm just, I'm not trying to, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Kansas. Like, I'll be interested to see Jalen Daniels again. He was really fun. Let's see how he looks against Oklahoma State's defense, who I think is actually better than Baylor's this year after what everything Baylor lost. Um, even at home, I don't I don't feel good about that for Kansas. Now, it doesn't mean I think Oklahoma State's going to win by three touchdowns because I'm still not sure the offense is all that great right now, but so will be. Interesting we'll, uh, game. We'll make certain tag old uh, Supposed to make sure that uh, that if anything would happen, I was gonna say with you better uh, knock on wood or something. You're, you're talking now. a lot, man. I don't know about this. <sighs> don't just leave me alone. Uh... <laughs> Everybody in the Big Twelve, it seems, is, uh, has had uh, you know their their Kansas moment a little bit. So just you know, just watch out, watch out. Yeah, no, it's look, you know, Texas and TCU. They've they've been there. They've had to. The jokes don't go away. They kind of went away for TCU. They'll never go away for Texas. So, sorry, Texas. It's just, it's just not going to happen. You guys have been awesome. Uh, Jamie, as always, been a ton of fun. Shayhan, thank you for filling in this week. Uh, we, I guess we'll let Andy back, despite how good of a job you did today. Uh, Shayhan, do us a favor for everybody who wants to check out the fantastic work you do covering football in the state of Texas. Where can they do so? Yeah, you can find all my work at textfootball.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Shahan J. Raja. And one more thing, uh, if you live in the state of Texas, you have until October 5th to get registered to vote, so make sure and do that. All right. Follow Jamie Steyer on Twitter, Jay Styes. At Jay Styes, yes. And pretty soon, I'm going to get some basketball schedules, and I'm going to talk about that nonstop for about a week. When we have an official schedule, you and I will just do a schedule breakdown show. We'll let Andy join us because schedule, normally like schedule announcement day in basketball is like Christmas day for me. I get super weird nerdy to just break down like, oh, this and ooh, that. Because, well, you know, it's football also, schedules are not it's a also vacation travel. It's also vacation planning for me in that ooh. it's not vacation because I see I get to talk to Learfield and find out which games I get. And so... A lot of times that ends up being like going to Kansas several times. But you know what? I'll take it. Yeah, especially this year. Any travel is good travel. Uh, all right, you guys are awesome as always. Make sure and follow us on Twitter at 1012podcast, T-E-N, the number 12, the word podcast, on the gram. That's 1012pod. We will have an Instagram live this week. We will do it this week, last week. I got My wife was, anyways, personal stuff. We had to cancel. We'll have a live this week. LazyFairCoffee.com, 10-12 gets you 10% off. Homefield Apparel, 10-12 gets you 20% off. Go check out both sites. And uh, we'll be back on Thursday for Picks This Week with Chris and Daniel.
Sports Social Podcast Network.